The Pope reportedly said fake news is like getting sexually aroused by feces. It truly is a magical time to be alive. Ain't it though? From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast and Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. Up in New Orleans, or no, down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. Seattle, Washington's KODX. Red Bluff, Redding, California's KFOI. Round Mountain, California's KKRN. In Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and other fine affiliates. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, very quickly, boy, we got a lot to cover today. Uh, very quickly, Politico is reporting that the security clearance of White House senior advisor Jared Kushner, President Donald Trump's son-in-law, has now been downgraded, a move that will prevent him from viewing many of the sensitive documents to which he once had unfettered access. All White House aides working on the highest level interim clearances, including Kushner, uh, were informed in a memo sent on Friday that their clearances would be downgraded to the secret level, according to three people with knowledge of the situation. Writes Politico and uh, others have since confirmed that Kushner has been operating with an interim clearance at the top secret sensitive compartmented information or SCI level for more than a year. According to the report, he is now only authorized to access information at the lower secret level. Remember when Donald Trump and the Republicans wanted to lock up Hillary Clinton because they said falsely that she allowed access to classified information to people who didn't have proper clearance for it? Well, that was darling. Uh, anyway, uh, until now, Kushner has had access to the president's daily brief, the most highly classified document that Trump sees. But uh, Bradley Moss, a lawyer who specializes in national security law and clearances, told Politico he cannot see the PDB, not a chance. He no longer has access to a range of intelligence information that ordinarily someone in his position and with his responsibilities would normally be privy to in order to perform their functions. Kushner, however, his attorney, tells AP that his ability to do his job won't be affected by any changes 
to his clearance. Well, that's reassuring. What a mess. Uh, What will we all do about it? Well, the answer may be beginning in Texas, of all places. The first primary elections of the 2018 midterm season are next Tuesday in the great state of Texas. Yes, they start early there. Early voting is already underway now. It's the uh, primary to select party nominees for the U.S. House that will face off in November. And Democrats seem to be feeling pretty good about their chances to win back the U.S. House this year against a White House and Republican Party that appears to be in no small amount of turmoil as election season begins. Uh, they think they might be able to pick up uh, at least five seats in uh, in the great uh, state of Texas. Take them back from Republicans. But the uh, Democrats have their own turmoil to deal with, and we are seeing that already in the Texas primaries where the party's uh, House campaign arm, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, or DCCC, or DTRIP, has already taken an extraordinary step to jump into one of those U.S. House primaries in Texas to undercut one of the progressive Democrats. At the same time, over the weekend out here in California, state Democrats met for their annual convention and, to the shock of many, failed to endorse four-term 84-year-old Democratic U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein in her re-election bid, with uh, more Democrats choosing a far more progressive candidate to go up against in the uh, state primary. The party ended up not endorsing anybody in that race. And we'll discuss that and the uh, DCCC's effect on Democratic House races all over the country with the great Howie Klein of Down With Tyranny, who follows this uh, stuff uh, closer than anybody I know. He'll be joining us shortly. My thanks to Angie Coiro uh, for sitting in for us to allow Desi a uh, day off for her birthday yesterday. Yay! Thank you, Angie. There you go. (laughs) And thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to offer Desi a birthday gift <laughs> to help pay for that day off. <laughs> it uh, It's never too late, by the way. At least if you really love Desi, you would stop by <clears throat> bradblog.com slash donate to, uh, to help our independent, non-corporate, non-political party funded efforts here on the Bradcast. Don't make us uh, start making up, uh, you know, make money uh, by partnering with the NRA or something. <laughs> To yeah. keep going here, uh, as as many are doing. And in fact, uh, Delta is one of the airlines uh, that had a partnership with the NRA. And uh, the lieutenant governor of Georgia on Monday threatened to block legislation that includes lucrative tax benefits for Delta Airlines because the Atlanta-based airline dropped their partnership with the National Rifle Association after a public backlash in the wake of the recent Florida school shooting. Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, a Republican, wrote on Twitter, quote, I will kill any tax legislation that benefits Delta unless the company changes its position and fully reinstates its relationship with the NRA. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, he wrote, uh, corporations cannot attack conservatives and expect us not to fight back. Several U.S. companies uh, have been cutting ties with the NRA and gun manufacturers in the wake of the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School on Valentine's Day, which killed 17 after a 19-year-old shooter opened fire with a legally purchased semi-automatic rifle. Over the weekend, Delta 
and United Airlines said they were no longer offering NRA member discounted uh, member discounts discounted rates, and they would ask the NRA to remove their information from its website. Delta is one of the largest employers in the state of Georgia, and Lieutenant Governor Cagle's tweet um, followed a wave of threats to boycott the carrier after the announcement on Saturday that Delta would no longer be working with the NRA. Uh, the Georgia legislature has been considering a proposed jet fuel tax exemption specifically meant to benefit Delta. But on Monday, uh, several state Republicans threatened to withdraw their support for that provision. Good. I don't think we need to give uh, Delta any additional tax benefits when it comes to jet fuel. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an operation that they have to deal with in all states, so why should they get special treatment in that state? Well, Cagle is running for governor of Georgia in oh. the 2018 race, uh, and so uh, he's currently the leading candidate in the Republican primary, according to several polls, uh, though many more appeared to be, uh, many more voters still appear to be undecided in that race. There are about five other declared candidates. Uh, Cagle's closest uh, competitor at the moment appears to be Georgia Secretary of State Brian Kemp. Remember him? He disastrously uh, has overseen Georgia's 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, including the contract that the state had with Kennesaw State University to do all of the programming and security for that unverifiable voting system. Kemp uh, and the university did nothing when they were told just before the November 2016 presidential election that the entire Georgia voting roll and the programming uh, ballot programming files for the election and the administrative passwords for the voting systems, that those were left online unprotected for anybody to download for months and potentially even years, all under Kemp's stewardship. So that's who you got running in uh in Georgia for governor on the Republican side of the ticket. Ian Milheiser, the constitutional law expert, said about that tweet where uh, Cagle is threatening Delta. He says, no big deal, just an elected official corruptly threatening to use his official position to retaliate against companies that don't do favors for his political supporters. Sounds about right. Adam Sewer of The Atlantic uh, said the lieutenant governor of Georgia is threatening to use the state to punish private actors for political expression that he finds distasteful. I mean, let's be clear. This is basically the airline saying we're not going to give you the discount. So you have to pay like everybody else. Right. And the, That's all. the lieutenant governor of the state of Georgia threatening to use the apparatus of state government to punish a private company yeah. for not following what uh, he wants him to do, for not following, for not helping out his, uh, his supporters at the NRA. Anyway, this is the crop of Republicans that are running for office this year. Uh, incredibly enough, Cagle is one of the less insane ones so far in this cycle, to be frank. Last week, the day after a Kentucky special election for a, uh, a, a state legislative seat in Kentucky in what had been thought to be a deep red rural district that Trump had won by 49 points back in 2016. In that special election, uh, the Democrat ended up winning by 36 points, a incredible 85 point swing from Election Day on November 2016 to the special election day just last week. 
It was also the 37th state legislative seat to flip from red to blue since Trump was elected. Now, when we recovered that when we covered that remarkable uh, Democratic win in that special election last week, I quoted one of the Republicans who sort of dismissed that win, uh, said, well, there were special circumstances around that election. Uh, That's true, sort of. The previous incumbent in that vacant seat was a far right wing uh, minister, a preacher who was accused last year of sexually molesting uh, one of his 17 year old parishioners. He denied the charge, but he ended up committing suicide in December. And then his wife ran as the Republican for that vacant seat before being defeated last week soundly by the uh, by the Democrat. And I quipped at the time that those special circumstances in that election, which the GOP was using to dismiss this huge Democratic uh, swing in this deeply red district, that I said that might not be so special after all, given that Republicans in Alabama had nominated Roy Moore for the U.S. Senate in last year's special election. Uh, to fill Attorney General uh, Jeff Sessions' uh, Senate seat, more lost in so-called deep red Alabama after being accused of sexual misconduct with a number of teenagers. Of course, there is now Missouri's new Republican governor, Eric Greitens, once thought to be a rising GOP uh, star, uh, possible presidential hopeful. He was indicted last week on a felony charge related to tying up a woman naked in his basement and taking photos of her and threatening to blackmail her if she ever revealed the affair that they had uh, just before his 2016 campaign, this family values Republican. And then, of course, as the president of the United States, you may have heard he's been accused of sexual misconduct with over a dozen women. He appears to have paid off both a porn star and a Playboy playmate in various ways just prior to the 2016 president presidential election in exchange for their silence against an affair that uh, against affairs that he was reportedly having with them just after Melania Trump had given birth to their child. So point being, I don't know if those what happened last week in in Kentucky was really special circumstances after all. Uh, Not these days, not for Republicans. And a couple of stories over the weekend about a number of uh, GOP candidates sort of underscores that point yet again as the uh, 2018 season gets underway in full. Let's start here in Pennsylvania, where the woman whose reported affair with Pennsylvania's Republican Congressman Tim Murphy led to Murphy's resignation. That woman allegedly threatened to kill her husband in 2016, according to the Tribune Review uh, on Friday. Shannon Edwards, she is the 33-year-old psychologist, and she is running for the Republican nomination to mount a bid against uh, Democrat Mike Doyle in Pennsylvania in a neighboring district. She uh, was accused by her husband of drunkenly attacking him in 2016 and threatening to kill him. A judge granted him a temporary restraining order. And she's the one who had an affair with the congressman in the next district over uh, from where she is now running for Congress. Boy, there's some real prize winners here. Ain't that the truth? Edwards' uh, affair, Shannon Edwards, this is the woman, uh, she announced her candidacy for Congress just last Wednesday. So we can look forward to that in Pennsylvania. Meanwhile, in Illinois, a Republican candidate for 
The Illinois legislature is under fire from his own party amid allegations that he asked an African-American candidate for state attorney general whether she was a, quote, lesbo, and he used a racial slur during a conversation with her. Oh, dear. So now the Illinois governor, Republican Bruce Rauner, and the uh, Republican floor leader of the Illinois House, guy by the name of Peter Breen, they are both calling for this candidate, Burt Miner, to drop out of the race for state rep. At issue is a conversation that apparently took place last fall between Miner and Republican Attorney General candidate Erica Harold, and she is the party-backed candidate uh, <clears throat> for the GOP. She's a Harvard Law graduate. She's a former Miss America. She apparently was talking to Miner when he was a Winfield Township chairman. And uh, according to uh, Breen, the uh, Republican floor leader uh, from the Illinois House, uh, Miner asked Harold personal questions about her marital status, even her sexual orientation, going so far as to inquire whether she was a, quote, lesbo. Uh, apparently, he also used the full N-word repeatedly in front of her and her assistant, asking whether she found its usage offensive. Uh, the Herald campaign did confirm to Politico that the conversation did occur. So that guy's running in Illinois as a Republican. And uh, then finally this, uh, Trent Franks. Remember him? Congressman from uh, Arizona. Well, uh, down with tyrannies, Howie Klein reports today that um, he was not just a crackpot extremist, he was also a pervert. He got uh, caught in a sex scandal this year, and he was forced to retire immediately. His suburban district in Phoenix's West Valley has uh, been too confused to absorb what happened to their seven-term congressman says Klein, uh, who uh, he never had a serious challenge for re-election in all of those years. There was no Democrat at all running against him in 2012, 2014, 2016. Trump won by a huge margin there, uh, beating Hillary Clinton by more than 20 points. So now, Franks, he's out. There are two serious Democrats competing for the Democratic nomination in a special election for that U.S. House seat. That uh, primary is actually going on today as we speak. Um, uh, one of the uh, Democrats is a self-funder who uh, gave her own campaign about $100,000, and there's a progressive candidate by the name of Brianna Westbrook. The Republicans, on the other hand, have some 14 candidates fighting for this seat. And the frontrunner is former state senator Steve Montenegro. He was handpicked by Trent Franks to replace him. According to uh, Howie Klein, Montenegro is about as right-wing as you can be without actually running around in clothes adorned by Nazi symbols. Mm. Uh, he's been uh, endorsed by all of the right-wing, uh, neo-fascist wing of the GOP, as Howie says. Joe Arpaio, Ted Cruz, Rick Santorum have all endorsed him. He's running on a Make America Great Again platform. He was considered the front-runner in that uh, race, well, until uh, yesterday, apparently Montenegro is a married man and a minister as well in his father's church. But a series of text messages between Montenegro and a female staffer in the uh, legislature uh, put the lie to all of the integrity nonsense, says Howie. Um, after the staffer sent Montenegro a topless photo 
via text message, Montenegro replied back, uh, encouraging her to use uh, the messaging app Snapchat instead because photos vanish there immediately after being viewed by the recipient. He uh, hid from the media for a few days. Uh, he deleted his Snapchat, Snap, Snapchat account, uh, and now he's uh, calling those charges just tabloid trash. That's what's going on on the Republican side. So, yes, there are a lot of problems with the Republican candidates. Democrats, on the other hand, are having a bunch of problems with each other in Texas, in California, and just about everywhere else. We will talk about that next with our friend Howie Klein of Down With Tyranny right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. The eyes of Texas are upon you. Yes, they are. All the live long day. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com as voting is now underway in the great state of Texas. But with the wildly unpopular Donald Trump and the similarly unpopular Republican-controlled Congress, things are looking very good for Democrats running for election this cycle, at least in theory. There remain uh, deep divisions within the Democratic Party itself this year, stemming from the divide between supporters of Hillary Clinton and the more progressive supporters of Bernie Sanders back in uh, 2016. And while much of the media obviously has been obsessed, justifiably, I guess, with the national emergency that is the Donald Trump presidency, much less attention has been paid to the continuing rifts among Democrats as we head into the crucial midterm elections when the Democrats hope to retake a majority in the U.S. House and perhaps even the U.S. Senate. Neither outcome, however, is anywhere close to assured, particularly with Democrats in the U.S. Senate having to defend a large number of vulnerable seats in states won by Donald Trump in 2016. And in, uh, in the U.S. House, where Demo Democrats are eyeing enough seats to retake a majority, they must still overcome the GOP's extreme partisan gerrymandering of a bunch of U.S. states, as Ernie Canning wrote about in detail at bradblog.com on Monday and as we've been covering on this show uh, for some time. Then there's the question of whether the progressive and establishment wings of the Democratic Party will be able to come together to support whoever ends up winning the various primary races across the country, which, as I noted, are already turning out to be very competitive in a year that a lot of Democrats are running for office because they think 
they see an anti-Trump blue wave resistance coming in in 2018. Over the weekend out here in California, longtime four-term Democratic U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein failed to secure her own party's endorsement, coming in nearly 20 percentage points behind her primary challenger among delegate votes at the state's uh, the state party's annual convention in San Diego. State Senate leader Kevin DeLeon, who is challenging Feinstein from the left, won the support of 54% of the Democratic delegates in California, compared to 37% support for Feinstein at that convention. With neither candidate receiving the uh, requisite 60% of delegate votes, neither candidate was able to earn the California Democratic Party's endorsement. That's a pretty remarkable turn of events, given the uh, given the years that Feinstein has served in the U.S. Senate and in state politics prior to that. Sophia Tesfe at Salon, however, describes the vote against the senator, who is seen by many progressives as being far too supportive of Republicans over the years, thanks to her votes for the Iraq War, the Bush tax cuts, the Patriot Act, warrantless spying on Americans. Many uh, progressives see what happened over the weekend as good news for the Democratic Party and for progressives in particular. At the same time, writing over at Bloomberg, establishment Democrat Al Hunt, citing Feinstein's aggressive work against the Bush administration's torture policy and her decades-long effort to ban assault weapons, he describes the California Democratic Party's treatment of DiFi as a, quote, shoddy attack. That is a gift to Republicans, which undermines Democratic pragmatists. But all of that's in California, arguably the most anti-Trump state in the union. They can afford, perhaps, a good fight over Democratic progressivism, perhaps. At the same time, however, early voting in Texas U.S. House primaries, as noted, is already underway, with the primary itself set for next Tuesday. And there, and there are at least five Texas districts that Democrats are eyeing as potential flips from red to blue this year. One of those is Texas's 7th U.S. House District in Houston, where about eight different Democrats are vying for the Democratic nomination. Uh, and in an extraordinary move, the Democratic Party's House campaign arm, the DCCC, or the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, actually issued a public attack late last week on one of the progressive candidates in that race against a progressive candidate by the name of Laura Moser. The DCCC issued a statement last week that uh, Down With Tyranny's Howie Klein described as nothing less than ammo for the Republicans if the voters in Texas's 7th district decide to nominate Moser. The statement reads in part, Democratic voters need to hear that Laura Mosier is not going to change Washington. She is a Washington insider who begrudgingly moved to Houston to run for Congress. In fact, she wrote in the Washington uh, Washingtonian magazine, I'd rather have my teeth pulled out without anesthesia than live in Texas. As of January 2018, the Democrat said, she uh, claimed Washington, D.C. Uh, to be her primary residence in order to get a tax break, and she has paid her husband's Washington, D.C. political consulting firm over $50,000 from campaign contributions. And that was a statement from Democrats, specifically from the Democratic Campaign Committee tasked with winning back the U.S. House this fall, 
And it's in the very first primary of the 2018 season. Is this the sort of thing that we should expect this year from the party itself? And will progressives and establishment Democrats be able to coalesce after the contentious 2016 race? Not to mention what looks as if it will be a very contentious 2018 primary season. Here to help us dive into this very fine mess is our old friend Howie Klein. He's the uh, creator of DownWithTyranny.com, co-founder of the Blue America PAC, dedicated to raising small-dollar donations to help elect progressives, not Democrats, but progressives, to office. He also covers U.S. congressional races about as close as anybody who I have ever known. Howie Klein, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Thanks, Brad. Good to be back. All right, well, let's start uh, with this Texas primary. I want to get to uh, California and DiFi in a bit, but let's start with this Texas primary. Not because I have any particular candidate here, but because I think it may be illustrative of uh, of what we will see in these uh, internecine battles among Democrats this year uh, with this race first out of the gate. A lot of uh, progressives are said to be livid about what the DCCC did in jumping into the race. Uh, but the communications director for the DCCC, Meredith Kelly, told TPM last Friday, we've gotten involved in primaries in the past when there's a disqualified general election candidate and have noted all cycle that we might do that again. She says this potential involvement in primaries is about ensuring voters have a chance to flip these districts in November. Your response, Howie, that, that is some pretty troubling oppo research that they released on uh, Mosier, no? It is. Uh, and, and that DCCC person is a liar. Uh, certainly the DCCC has been getting involved with primaries since 2006 when Rahm Emanuel was the, uh, the chairman, mm -hmm. and it's usually been for the, for the worse. Uh, they, they often, uh, no, they, I shouldn't say often, they always, 100% of the time. So 100% of the time isn't often. 100% right. of the time is always. Right. They always support conservatives from the Republican wing of the Democratic Party. That's what they do. Co corporate Democrats, very, very wealthy Democrats, they always try to undercut progressives. They've been doing that for years. In 2006, which was like this year, a wave election in favor of Democrats, Rahm Emanuel uh, and the DCCC went very, very negative on a number of Democratic candidates like Carol Shea Porter, mm -hmm. like uh, um, uh, Jerry McNerney here in California, mm -hmm. And they supported conservative candidates. The progressives won. And, and why that is significant is because both Carol Shea Porter and Jerry McNerney are in Congress right now. So they won the primaries against Rahm Emanuel's conservative candidates. And then Rahm Emanuel refused to help them to win the general election. But they both won the general election anyway, and they're still in Congress. However... All of Rahm Emanuel's recruits that year, who did get through with, with the help of the DCCC, so again, I'm going to use the word all, meaning 100%, every one of them is no longer in Congress. They were defeated. Why were they defeated? They were defeated in the next midterm election. And the reason they were defeated is because the voters realized that they weren't real Democrats, that they were New Dems and Blue Dogs, and they were voting with the Republicans all the time. So the DCCC defeats its own purpose. It, it uh, brings in all of the, it recruits and supports uh, all of these uh, right-wing Democrats. And then once the voters realize that they're right-wing Democrats voting with the Republicans, they, they, it's not like they then go vote for the Republican. Of course they don't. What they do is they stay home, and they don't vote at all. 
and that that keeps happening over and over again. That's the DCCC specialty. So when whatever that communications director who's new there and doesn't know anything, <laughs> she, when she um, says that kind of stuff, she doesn't know what she's talking about. The DCCC very, very simply supports conservative Democrats, establishment Democrats, wealthy Democrats, and does everything they can to undermine progressives. That's what the DCCC does. What was your question again? Uh, well, I, you, I think you pretty much answered it. Well, I was saying, though, that there are that research, that statement that the DTRIP put out, that is, in fact, some troubling research about that candidate Mosier. I mean, shouldn't they put that information out there here now in the primaries before uh, someone like Mosier wins and the Republicans end up doing it and a winnable seat? This is in Houston. This is a seat that, uh, you know, barely went, uh, I think, for uh, Hillary Clinton. So it's winnable this November? Shouldn't the DCCC do something about that when they see a potential seat slipping away that could be won this year? So Laura is, is a friend of mine. I like her. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, she's, she's certainly not the best candidate. And Blue America, the PAC that, that I founded that you mentioned, mm -hmm. is uh, uh, supported someone else. Jason Weston, the award-winning cancer doctor, mm -hmm. I find him to be uh, the best candidate running. He's very, very progressive as well, just as she is. And I looked at both of them closely, and, uh, and, and Blue America decided to endorse him. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to tell you uh, now isn't because I'm supporting Laura Mosier, and I think she should be, be the winning candidate. What I'm saying is this. When uh, Mitch McConnell spent something, I don't remember if it was $7 million or $12 million, mm -hmm. he spent some huge amount of money under, doing everything he could to undercut that Roy Moore, mm -hmm. when Roy Moore... Um, ran for the U.S. Senate in Alabama. So all this opposition uh, smear, when it, when it, and some of it true, some of it not true, but most of it true. But when, when McConnell spent all that money, what did he do? He ruined Roy Moore's chance to win in the general election. That's what the Democrats are trying to do. The, I'm sorry, not the Democrats, but the DCCC mm -hmm. is trying to do. What if, now I hope this doesn't happen, but what if uh, Laura Moser winds up as the candidate. She's she's dead in the water because the Republicans will just use the Republic uh, the Democratic research, the DCCC research, to undercut her. Well, I, well, I I am not a, a fan of hers. I don't want to defend her. Right. Uh, we found her to to be uh, not the best candidate. We found Jason Weston to be the best candidate. Mm -hmm. But the DCCC should not be the ones to be uh, to be undermining her and doing what they could what they can to to destroy her career and I might add by the way that it wasn't just the DCCC who did this but also Emily's List uh, right. you know supposedly an organization that supports pro-choice women well Laura Mosier is the most pro-choice woman in the uh, in the race and what they probably uh, uh, let me go back for one second mm -hmm. The, these races in Texas, although the, uh, as you mentioned earlier, the election, the primary election is on Tuesday, so coming right up, mm -hmm. almost all of these races, I, I think all of these races, are going to uh, entail runoffs in late May. So all of these primaries are going to have primary runoffs in late May because in Texas, unlike California and unlike most of the states in the country, you have you, you. It's not just whoever gets the most votes. You have to get over fifty percent in order to be the candidate. And because there are so many primary candidates running, very very few 
of these races are going to be decided on Tuesday. You know, I think the one in Texas 36, uh, Dana Steele's race, she is the one candidate, I think, who can get through uh, on Tuesday and be, be the winner right off the bat. Everyone else is going to have to battle it out again. I mean, not everyone, but the top two will have to battle it out, in, uh, I think, on May 22nd. In, in a runoff. But so what sh- are, are you suggesting that the DCCC should hold its fire until the runoff or until November? Or should they stay out of this at all? I mean, they have their interest is in getting back a uh, Democratic majority in the House. No, there is in getting conservative Democrats in the House. I, I tried to say that before. <laughs> what they do, okay. they, they, they would rather see a Republican win than a progressive Democrat. That's how bad they are. And why they is that? Let me, Howie, let, me, a, let me ask you, Howie, why win. is that? Why do the uh, does the DCCC cling to... Uh, right-wing Democrats. Is it because they are themselves right-wing or because they think that those are more likely to, uh, those folks are more likely to win? No, they're not more likely to win. And if they do win, in a, in a, the only time they can win is in a wave election. That's what happens. In a wave, it doesn't matter if you're a progressive or if you're a, uh, a right-wing Democrat, a blue dog, it doesn't matter. In a wave election, Democrats win. In, in, you know, if it's a Democratic wave, in, 20, mm-hmm. in 2010, there was a Republican wave, and it was the opposite. But, but we're going to have a huge anti-Trump, anti-Paul Ryan, anti-Republican wave uh, coming in November. In that case, whoever the Democratic nominee is will win. The problem with these, as I tried to explain, the problem with these DCCC candidates is that they can't hold the seats. They get, to, they get defeated in the next uh, midterm. Mm. And that happens over and over and over again, and the DCCC can't understand that. But you were right when you said, is it because they themselves are conservatives? Yes, that's exactly the reason. They look in the mirror, and then they look at the other conservative candidates. who They see the same image that they saw in the, in the mirror. They hate progressives. That's a literal. They hate progressives. And and how is the, the party, D- and they hate progressives? The 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 DCCC itself is is not the DNC per per se. It's a not related. They're not related. No. I mean, they're both part of the Democratic Party mm-hmm. oper- oper- apparatus, but they don't. Ha- there's not like there's some hierarchy w- that uh, says one is above the other, right. or that they have to take orders from each other. They're they're completely separate. They have nothing to do with each so other. So, how can the DCCC be uh, be changed? That I guess that's one part of the question. And uh, B, the second part is, hey, isn't this democracy? They've got their uh, point of view. Blue America has theirs. Emily's list has theirs. Everybody's fighting it out. Isn't this ultimately a good thing. Uh, well, I'm going to explain that in a second because you asked a couple of questions. Right. First of all, how, how do they how do they have this power and can it be changed? Uh, yes, it can be changed, and the only way it can be changed is by replacing Pelosi. Pelosi, when she, as soon as she took over the party, she put Rahm Emanuel in as the DCCC chair, and then it's just been one version of Rahm Emanuel ever since. One version after another version. All of the chairs since 2006 have been one sort of Rahm Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel was a new Dem. Uh, uh, Steve Israel was a blue dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all, you know, anti-progressive, uh, very, very anti-progressive. I mean, I'm telling you, I know these people. They hate progressives. I, no, I, I know, but here's... More than what, they hate, hey, more than they hate I, Republicans. I, I understand that, Howie, but here's what's strange. I mean, I know a lot of people are attacking Nancy Pelosi, and for uh, good reason, but in many cases, but in fact... 
she is herself, I believe, rather uh, rather progressive. Well, she was. She, she, well, was, she was. was. She was my congresswoman. Yeah. I voted for her. Yeah. I was happy with her. Uh, and I'm, I'm not really attacking Nancy Pelosi. I'm just telling you a fact. I, I'm not one of the people that's clamoring to get rid of Nancy Pelosi. No, 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 and that's okay. I don't care if you... I don't... I don't... Uh, had to change the DCCC, that's the only way. She, she's the one... You know, the, the Democrats, uh, after the last catastrophe in, in 2016, the Democratic members of Congress told Nancy that she will not be the leader of the party again unless she gives them the right to appoint the DCCC head by election rather than her appointing them. And she didn't want to do that, but she had no choice. Uh, she, wouldn't have won speaker, the, uh, she wouldn't have won the leadership again. Mm-hmm. So she said, okay, you guys can vote on it. And then what happens, they're also happy, but they can't come to any kind of a, a decision about who to, who to run. So no one ran except for her candidate, Ben Ray Lujan, who's a moron. And there was no election. That's, and that, that's, that, that's how dysfunctional this party is. I guess I don't understand why someone who is as progressive as Pelosi or who used to be. Hey, as, she's uh, not that uh, progressive. Uh, uh, well, I was going to say who used to be. Uh, why she would take such a turn to the right that doesn't necessarily make I, I It has obviously happened. I just don't understand why it has happened. Howie, I want to get to a quick break here, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, California and and, uh, uh, Dianne Feinstein in particular. But do you expect to see much more of this then from the DCCC, where they get into these races, they take sides, they attack the progressives? Is uh, Texas uh, and the first uh, primary of the season just an indication of, of what's going to come over the next six, eight, nine months? The slimiest DCCC staffer, a guy named Kyle Lehman, was bragging at the convention this week that exactly what they did to Laura Oatman in Texas is what they're going to do in California. Laura Moser, you mean, in uh, Texas. What did I say? You said Oatman. Whoever. Oh, no, I, there is a wonderful Laura Oatman. I love her, but they're going to destroy her, too. Okay. All right, let me, I tell you what, let me take a quick break. Uh, speaking with Howie Klein of DownWithTyranny.com, the great DownWithTyranny.com and the great Howie Klein. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back, uh, figure out what to make of uh, this split in the California Democratic Party, where the... Uh, well, things are a little bit different in Democrat in uh, in California, given the way we uh, run our primaries out here. We'll talk about that with Howie Klein right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. California, I've been blue. Since I've been away from you I can't wait till I get going Even now I'm starting in a call California, here I come Here I come, welcome back I to the Bradcast Brad Friedman from bradblog.com Well, it was a wild weekend in San Diego at the California State Democratic Party Convention where incredibly... Four-term U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein failed to receive the endorsement of her own party uh, out of that convention. Uh, Nobody did. She is being challenged this year by 
uh, State Senate Speaker uh, Kevin DeLeon. He actually uh, got more votes than Feinstein did, but not enough to reach the 60% threshold. So as we head into the primary season out here in California, we have a sitting U.S. Senator who is not endorsed by her own party running in a primary um, uh, against a, a, a beloved progressive Democrat. And, um, well, it's a little bit different. We were talking about Texas uh, and the way their primaries work. Out here in California, it's a little bit different where you've got uh, what we call the top two primary, where whoever wins, uh, everybody sort of runs, all parties run together in the primary, and whoever the top two vote-getters are end up uh, running for the general election in November. I'm speaking with Howie Klein of DownWithTyranny.com, co-founder of the Progressive Blue America PAC, about all of this and the split right down the middle, really, of the Democratic Party. Uh, Howie, what do you make of this uh, split in uh, among California Democrats and their failure to endorse their longtime U.S. Senator DiFi over the weekend? So um, I, I, I've known her a very, very long time. I was, I was a very close friend of Harvey Milk's, mm-hmm. and uh, Harvey Milk sat on the uh, San Francisco Board of Supervisors, as did Diane Feinstein. Mm-hmm. He used to come back to his uh, shop where I, where I would be hanging out and would be just fuming about her. He used to curse her out every single day. So I learned to hate her from an early time. He, he didn't like... He so didn't like her that he hated her more than the than the uh, member of the uh, board of supervisors who eventually assassinated him. Mm-hmm. So she became mayor. <laughs> right. I'm happy to say I didn't vote for her ever in my life. Right. Not when she ran for the board of supervisors. Not when she ran for mayor. Not when she ran for governor. And not when she ran for the U.S. Senate ever, and or ran for reelection to any of those things. So she's a very conservative Democrat. Always has been. She's one of the richest members of the Democratic Party. She's extremely corrupt. She has sent contracts galore for years and years and years to her husband, and they went from being very rich to mega-rich. Uh, she just put $5 million into her own campaign. And I'm glad that the Democratic Party in uh, California decided uh, to, def- to defeat her bid for an endorsement. And, and it was very, very big uh, difference. I think she got only 39% of the vote, and Kevin DeLeon had... Um, 54%. 54%. <laughs> yeah, he, had, he got a majority of the vote. Yeah, he, he did well. So in Cal- I think what your question was, uh, to me, was about this, the, whole, the system of this top two with Republicans uh, voting... Uh, and Democrats voting in the same in the same uh, ticket, and and Greens and Libertarian, everybody sort of votes at uh, votes. at once, and whoever the uh, top two vote getters uh, end up going. So we could see in November, uh, Democrat versus Democrat in the uh, in the Senate race or in any of the House races across the state as well. We could see Republicans versus Republicans as the only two choices this November, right. and we will. Uh, this in the in the Senate race, we will see uh, Kevin DeLeon and uh, Dianne Feinstein as the uh, as the two candidates. So there will be no Republican running. In fact, the only Republican that had even the tiniest little chance, and, and he didn't really have a chance, withdrew today. Uh, this guy, uh, I, I think you pronounce his name Asa, mm-hmm. O-S-E. O-S-E. Mm-hmm. He was a congressman from uh, way up north in California quite some time ago, very wealthy, but he said that, he, that fundraising has dried up for um, Republicans and that Republican donors at this point, would rather give money to a moderate Democrat to keep a, a, a progressive out. 
and that they're not giving money to Republicans, and he officially withdrew this morning. So you uh, you would argue then that uh, the top two primaries, at least in a state like California, as far to the progressive left as this state are, that that ends up benefiting uh, Democrats, having a, have a, a good knockdown, uh, drag-out fight between uh, Feinstein and De Leon uh, for the U.S. Um, Senate? In that case, it might. But, but then we, we get to a situation in the general election where Feinstein isn't worried because she knows what's going to happen. The Republicans will vote for her. They have been for, for the last uh, 20 years they've been voting for her. So she isn't worried at all. She, in fact, Kevin might wind up getting a majority of Democrats. I mean, I'm not saying he will, but he mm-hmm. could, and still lose because she's going to get, you know, a good portion of Democrats, and she'll get Republicans. What else are Republicans going to do? They're either not going to come and vote, mm-hmm. or they're going to vote for her. They like her. She's, she backs a lot of their policies. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Does that split uh, in any way harm the chances? Uh, if you have a Democratic Party going up against each other in California statewide, is there any chance that a Republican somehow manages to get in the door? You're saying that Republicans aren't even going to try because they are very happy with uh, with DiFi as is. No, no, there are there are two other Republicans that that are going to try. They were they were considered impo- You know, I mean, As- As- let's call him Asa because mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Doug Asa. Mm-hmm. So. So he was considered the front runner. He was the only one that had any kind of a chance, although he didn't really have any kind of a chance. So the other ones even have less of a chance than that. So there will be no Republican uh, getting in. That's not going to happen. But your question is, is exactly right on in the congressional races. There, you ha- say like California 39. That's, that's the seat in northeast Orange County that is now an open seat. So in an open seat, that means it's a free-for-all. Uh, there could be 10 Republicans and 10 Democrats running, and every, everybody's running every which way, and you don't know who's going to get, there's no way to tell who's going to get the nomination from, you know, it's going to be two Democrats, mm-hmm. it's going to be two Republicans, and that's where the DCCC is going to start big footing in. It's going to be races like that, where they're afraid that they can, uh, they can wind up with two Republicans. It happened once, by the way, um, uh, down in uh, San Bernardino. And we, we, we could see that. I mean, if you, we have so yeah, many Democrats who are running, if you look at uh, you know a seat like Daryl Issa, who seems like he's eminently beatable, the Republican, if you've got you know five or eight different uh, Democrats running, perhaps neither of them end up uh, in the top two, and there'll be no Democrat running for Daryl Issa's totally beatable seat this November. Right, and the reason for that is because Daryl Issa is retiring. So Daryl Issa, if Daryl Issa was staying in the race, it would be no problem because it would be Daryl Issa and then whoever would be in the, in the general and then whichever Democrat won the most races. But because he's retiring, suddenly there are a number of Republicans trying to get that seat. They've got a, a, crazy Trump, a couple of crazy Trump guys. They've got like a more moderate kind of guy that the Republicans mm-hmm. call a rhino. Um, and then there are a whole bunch of Democrats. So, yes, I mean, it could happen that, it, that it'll be only a Democrat, only two Democrats in the end, or only two Republicans in the end. Anything can happen. But more likely it's going to be one Democrat and one Republican. But uh, in the 39th, I mean, it's the same thing. Because there's no, there's no um, uh, incumbent, right. a lot of Republicans will run. When there's an incumbent, it's not really a problem. Cause, like in the 45th, for example. In the 45th, you've got Mimi Walters, the Republican. She, it, no Republican is, is challenging her. So it's going to be one, one Republican, Mimi Walters, and then whichever Democrat 
um, gets the most votes. However, that didn't stop the DCCC from interfering and backing their conservative candidate, a new mm-hmm. Dem, um, and because they want to prevent a progressive. Yeah. And it, it so happens that polling shows that the progressive would win the race, whereas the, uh, the new Dem that the DCCC backs probably won't win the race. So, th- so that's how screwed up they are. I got just about two minutes left here, Howie, and I got two questions I want to ask you. Uh, first, <laughs> does this interparty um, th- does this interparty battle hurt Democrats? I know it's different from state to state. It, does it hurt Democrats, or is it good for uh, Democrats? You know, when the Tea Party took over the Republican Party, uh, that seems you know that took a long time. They lost a lot of winnable races along the way, uh, but they eventually took over the party and and got their way. Do progressives risk that same problem and is the is it a risk worth taking for the greater progressive good ultimately? Yes. But let me go back to something that you said in the introdu- in the introduction. Mm-hmm. You said that this fight is over Bernie uh, supporters and Hillary supporters. It's not exactly that. It's really much more important ideological fight. I know plenty of people who supported Hillary who are progressives. And they are, so it's not a a split between Bernie people and Hillary people on any, on, in any way. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's an ideological battle by, of people who believe in what, uh, Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt believed in, as opposed to people who are, you know, conservative Democrats who are frightened and and afraid of, uh, of innovation. And there's the whole point, and I guess we're going to have to come back to this another time, of the, the way, the systemic way that corruption works within the Democratic Party. And that's worth exploring on itself, uh, all, all on its own. And, and it's a very, very, very big part of this whole thing, and we didn't really get to talk about it. But there is, you know, money changing hands and going into people's pockets in a very, very big way. And we will talk about that, I hope, uh, in, the, in the weeks and months ahead here uh, throughout primary season. I want to ha- have you on more often, Howie. But this... Um... <laughs> I, I guess my my question is ultimately because I know your your uh, uh, progressive uh, bona fides are unquestionable at this point, Howie. If these terrible, uh, even corrupt, uh, certainly conservative Democrats win uh, in primary races. You know, a lot of Democrats stayed home uh, in November of 2016, so they say, so we are told. Uh, do you think, it is of my belief that we are in a national emergency and uh, it is that important for Democrats to take over both the House and the U.S. Senate, even if they are terrible Democrats? Uh, so I guess a sort of prediction, will uh, progressive Democrats figure that out and come together or uh, are are uh, progressives doing ourselves in by um, you know by not turning out if the uh, candidate is not progressive enough this November? In a wave election, no, that doesn't matter. In a wave election, there, there, the the independents are going to make the determination that they're they're sick of Republicans, they're sick of Trump, they're sick of Ryan, and they are going to turn out. For Democrats, instead of splitting approximately 50-50 like they usually do, mm-hmm. the independents are going to go all the way to the Democrats. I was looking at uh, specific, some specific races, like the one in, in Wisconsin against Paul Ryan. In that district, 30% of the district is Republican, 30% of the district is Democrat, 40% of the district is independent. The independents are finished with Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan knows he can't win. He's probably not going to run again. 
People don't realize that. But Paul Ryan is probably going to back out of uh, doing what he knows would happen, which is basically being beaten by a construction worker. He doesn't want that on his resume. Well, but the but the the still the question is, uh, you know, if people stay home, I, I know you think it's going to be a wave election. I think that the, a lot of these states are really gerrymandered. I think it's going to take all hands on deck, and I think a lot of people are going to have to hold their nose. A lot of progressives are going to have to hold their nose, whether they like it or not, uh, in order to uh, take back control of the House and or Senate this year. And I don't know if progressive Democrats are yet uh, coming to terms with that reality. Should yes, they? They are. Should they? I mean, yeah. I don't. Uh, we'll get to that after the primaries. Okay. But uh, my belief is that it's not going to matter. There may be some progressives that stay home, but that's not going to sway the election. Uh, the de- Democrats in general will will vote for Democrats, and this time independents will vote for Democrats, and bye bye Republicans. Okay, the- I got I got to get out. How did you say bye bye uh, Donald Trump last uh, in November 2016 as well, thinking Hillary Clinton was going to win? Did, but I wasn't counting on Putin stealing the election for him. Okay. All right. Well, by that's, the way, Brad. Yes. Is it possible to fool around with voting machines? Uh, just a little. Yes. Quite okay, possible. I, I, I throw that in. Thanks for that softball. I'll knock that out of the park uh, on uh, tomorrow's broadcast, perhaps. Thanks, Howie. Always great talking with you, my friend. Uh, follow his work uh, at uh, downwithtyranny.com. Is that right? Dot com? Howie? Downwithtyranny.com and on the Twitters at downwithtyranny. Thanks, brother. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, Brad. Okay, we got to get out. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thank you. Yes. And, of course, to my guest, Howie Klein of DownWithTyranny.com. And to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. That is how we can afford, sort of, to stay on your public airwaves, bradblog.com slash donate. Uh, You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. And I think that's it for today. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 